I really believe everything that happens is by design. Like all levels of success only happen through a series of failures and through a series of adversity. This is episode number 126 with Bedros Koulian. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the last episode of the year, the final episode of 2019, the last episode of the decade. 2020 is quickly approaching. It is already here, basically, and Barb and I are super excited for what the year holds. But we also wanted to recap a little bit uh, what we accomplished in 2019 and all the amazing guests that we had here on the show uh, and kind of recap who those guests were some of the names that stood out to us. Again, we interviewed probably close to 50 people, so we can't name them all, but we just want to share with you some of our favorite episodes and encourage you to go back and listen to them as well. So at the beginning of the year, we interviewed Steve Sims, who is uh, the owner of a company called Blue Fishing. He is a best-selling author. He is uh, called the Real Wizard of Oz. He makes the impossible possible for people. Uh, we then interviewed um, Robert O'Neill, the man who killed Osama bin Laden. That's episode number eight. That was a, a, a super fun interview. Robert had his brother on the show as well. Uh, very entertaining. So I highly encourage you to go check that out. You can watch the video also on YouTube at American Sippets. Uh, we also interviewed um, Patrick Bet-David, who is a very successful business owner, entrepreneur, and social media influencer. Um, we, uh, for our 100th episode, we had our good friend Taya Kyle on the show, who is a New York Times bestselling author. She is the wife of Chris Kyle, the American sniper. Uh, we then featured later, uh, all, actually only a few months ago, we had bestselling author and former Navy SEAL, Jason Redmond on the show as well, and he shared his story with us. Uh, we've also featured other stories and had other people on the show from all walks of life, people who embody the American spirit, people who are giving back both in business and everyday life, people who are impacting their communities. Uh, we had uh, Alex Weber, who is a former American Ninja Warrior. Um, we had um, a leading expert in stem cell therapy, Dr. Joy Kong on the show, and one of the smartest businessmen that I personally know, a, a tremendously successful entrepreneur, uh, Roland Frazier, someone you can learn a, a great deal from. Uh, he took the time to sit down with us as well and share his story and insight on business. And so again, we just had an incredible lineup of guests throughout 2019, and I highly encourage you to go back to check them out. Let us know what you thought about some of these episodes. Let us know what your favorite one was. Tell a friend about it, share it on social media, and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, actually, we're going to have a review contest for the entire month of January. All you have to do is leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Let us know what your, one of your favorite episodes was. And take a screenshot of that review and email it to support at American Snippets. And you're going to be in the running to win a Patriot Pass. We're going to select one winner. One winner is going to win a Patriot Pass. The Patriot Pass is 
our highest level seating for the Great American Summit that is coming to Washington, D.C., April 17th and 18th. Uh, the ticket value is $1,500. It's a red carpet treatment. You're going to get the uh, the best seating in, in, for the entire event. You're going to you're going to get access to the Patriot Pass Club, to uh, the Let Freedom Ring concert, to the Great American Reception, to the meet and greets. Uh, it's a high value ticket, and we're only going to give one away. And all you have to do to enter to win is leave us a review on iTunes. All right, so let's get into this week's podcast episode. Bedros Koulian may have been among the most unlikely candidates to live anything like the life he's living now. Born in communist Armenia and victimized as a child, Bedros was a lifetime and a half a world away from the country he now calls home and dominates his industry in. His story of how he fled that home and became a massive success in America would already be extraordinary if those were the only challenges he'd ever had to face. But those were just the beginning of Bedros's struggles. Listen in as one of the country's top entrepreneurs, fitness trainers, consultants, and speakers talks about why America is the best country to build a dream life and how he used all of his challenges to find and fulfill a purpose-driven life in a country he loves. Bedros also shares a side of himself he doesn't often get to talk about and another passion he wants to pursue in life. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Bedros Cooley. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen, here today with Bedros Koulian, who is an entrepreneur, a fitness trainer, an author, and a high-performance business consultant. He is also right up our alley because he is an avid believer in the American dream, and he has a crazy, powerful story of how he's come to live his own version of the American dream after his family led a communist regime in Armenia. Bedros, we are so excited to have you here today. I have done a lot of digging into you in the past week. I don't know if you could feel somebody like kind of stalking you from afar, but that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Watching a ton of your interviews, listening to your podcasts, and I know you're all about man up and all that. I'm not even a dude, but at 4.15 this morning when my alarm got off and I was like, oh man, I heard you saying, don't be a bitch, get up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I got to get up. I got Bedros today, you know? <laughs> so I love it. I love it. It works. It works on me too. Um, well, good. Uh, and by the way, you should yeah. know, and thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> and you should know that man up is really human up. Um, obviously yeah. man up is a very catchy title. creates a lot of controversy. Yep. I'm not allergic to controversy. I love it. I love getting yeah. the attention so that I can make, create a channel for my message, which is to human up to our higher potential. Yep. And I saw that too. I love that. After I got past all the digging, I saw that. That was great. How about let's start with where you are now and give people uh, who may not be familiar with your story, you know, where you are now, and then we'll, we'll dial back to the path that you took to get here. Okay. Sure. Sure. So, you know, as you said, I'm a fitness, it's like, well, when you just kind of hear that he's a fitness trainer and a, a peak performance coach and business coach to executives and New York times bestselling authors. It's like, how does that work? Well, I started off as a fitness trainer, personal trainer, and I very quickly realized that my passion was to impact millions of lives. And I alone could not just help enough people through training them in fitness. And so the only way that was going to happen was to ultimately create this franchise that we did, which is called Fit Body Boot Camp. 
And uh, we hit the Inc. 5000 list the last four years in a row. We hit uh, Entrepreneur Magazine's fastest growing franchises the last two years in a row. And uh, we've got almost 700 locations worldwide. And we're growing at a breakneck speed. And through all of our Fit Body Bootcamp locations worldwide, we're literally impacting the lives of millions of people every single day through health, fitness, and positive mindset. Now, they, of course, sign up because they just want to lose a few pounds. And that's the easy way to get someone in. Once they get in, we let them know that you know your abs are made in the kitchen, so nutrition is a big component of fat loss and weight loss. And oh, by the way, mindset is everything. And so that's the impact that um, changed my life was you know fitness, nutrition, and mindset. And so we drive that through our franchise. But so today I'm a franchisor, and we have this big brand called Fit Body Bootcamp. I I speak from stages, and I'm I'm just so fortunate that I get to share the immigrant edge and the American dream story that I've got to experience and live through. And um, along the way, I somehow became this consultant, this coach, I guess, the, that entrepreneurs and thought leaders and New York Times bestselling authors and NFL Super Bowl champions seem to want to hire me. And, and so I've got some of the greatest coaching clients at Navy SEALs. And, and, you know, I'm in awe of them and they're in awe of my skill set. So it works out perfectly. That is great. That has to feel pretty good. I mean, all oh my- of the success is hard earned. And yeah, it has to feel I've, pretty I've good. I've definitely paid my dues for it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely did. And for me, it's so good to see people, you know, doing that and really taking advantage of everything in this country. And no, I saw one clip of you speaking and you actually like called out the audience. And I think this was one of the first ones I dug into. And I laughed so hard because you're like, look, if you're not going to get involved, let me know. I can just leave now. You know, I know this is like the third day in and you're tired. And I was like, man, this guy's awesome. Like you just (laughs) walked out there and took that. I mean, do you often have to like do that like on the last day if you're speaking at an event do you prefer to be at like at the last day the first days or a better spot where the uh, the energy You know, going? it doesn't matter where they put me. I just yeah. believe in my message so much yeah. that if I look in the audience and I see people's eyes glazed over cuz they're on day 3 and they've had 15 other speakers in front of them and I don't know what those speakers shared but I know what my message is and I know how my message has impacted my life and the life of my paying clients who pay me $50,000 a year. And so if you paid $300 to be in that seat because someone's hosting an event and they paid me an obscene amount, obscene amount of money to be there, yeah. you better pay attention. I am going to get your attention if I see you falling asleep. I love that. I'm a little afraid right now, but I love it. I promise I'm paying attention. Well, Barb, as long as you don't fall asleep during this interview, you should be all right. No, I think I'm going to be okay. I stand up. Um, look, and one, another thing that's great, I saw when everybody was going broke and down and out in 2008 and like really worried and withdrawing, everybody was withdrawing into themselves and like, you know, minimalizing. Yeah. You just, that's when you just doubled down and you went all in, which is another thing I love. And did people tell you you were crazy? Oh, everybody yeah. from my parents all the way down to the people nearest me, like my, my wife. And, and if my kids could speak back then, they were just babies. They probably would have said so too. But there was an old Tony Robbins, check this out. Years ago, when I couldn't even afford to buy Tony Robbins cassette tapes or CDs, um, I would, I owe that man so much money and I have paid him for the record <laughs> and, 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 you know, like back debt that I've owed him. But, um, I would go to eBay and people would you know, basically copy his audio CDs onto blank CDs and I'd buy it for 15, 20 bucks. And I would just listen to it until that CD would no longer work. And one of the things he said in that CD was, if you want to know how successful people become rich, just understand that they see what everyone else is doing and they do the opposite. And so when I saw that in 2008, after the economy crashed, everybody was being a chicken little, the sky is falling, this is the end, this is worse than the Great Depression, et cetera. And I knew that the talking heads on TV, the news media outlets, 
their job is to sell airtime. So of course they're gonna wanna put us in a state of fear. The problem is we as the audience begin to trust them because well, if you're on TV, I guess I'm supposed to trust you, which is why Alex Trebek can go and peddle you know, whatever supplements, life insurance, are, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, life insurance. And yeah. for some reason, because you run a game show, we're supposed to trust you, but we do anyway. So all that said, everybody was panicking and everybody was retracting their money, their marketing dollars. Well, I saw that unemployment was really high, 11% unemployment, which means that I can get employees for dirt cheap. I can get really good employees for dirt cheap. And I saw that if there's not a lot of people marketing on Facebook and Google right now, because they're retracting their money, that means a lead or a customer or client is going to be cheaper to buy because I'm not competing against you or a bunch of other people. So I literally went all in on the best employees, on the best marketing, on aggressive marketing, and it proved to be right. And I later found out guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, right around that same time, he was building VaynerMedia and he went all in and his mindset was the same thing. So, you know, I owe so much a debt of gratitude to Tony Robbins and that one particular CD set that I bought. You bootleg Tony Robbins. I, I never <laughs> market Tony Robbins. I never heard of that one before. That yeah. was a good that, one. <laughs> but, but since then, I've had the good fortune to share the stage with him, and, I, and I've apologized for buying a bootleg CD. What did he say when you told him that? He laughed. He got a good laugh out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he charge you interest? No, but I've donated to a lot of his charities and causes. <laughs> so your vision is to impact 5 million people every morning. Yeah, it is. It is. It sounds lofty, but you know, the math works yes. out when we have 2,500 yeah. camp locations and they're all at full capacity. That Those are the numbers that we're going to be doing. And you know, when you just look at 500 people every single morning, that sounds scary. But when you break it down to per location, per month, and how many locations we need to onboard per month between now and the year 2025 to get to that number, it's actually very doable. And so as long as we hit our daily KPIs, key performance indicators here at our building at our corporate office, we're, we're going to do that. Yeah. And I love that when you talk about a lot of people can have giant goals and they just seem they're so huge. They don't know how to do it. Or you throw a number like 5 million out and people just dismiss it like, oh, that'll never happen. But like you said, when you say everything, when you break it all down, it's like, and especially when you have the formula, the template you're already doing, you just have to do that X amount of more times at X amount of pace and, right. and you got it. And, uh, it's totally doable. And I love this. This is why I love surrounding ourselves and our audience with people who have that mindset because it, it takes them out of that other mindset where, Oh, that's impossible. Like it's not impossible. You just got to like, believe that you can do it and understand how to do it and the premise. And I you know, love that. And to that point, it's almost formulaic, right? Like there's the yeah. old adage where they say, you know, how do you eat an elephant? And it's, it's a big elephant. Well, you yeah. eat it one bite at a time. We've all yeah. heard that, but now you just need to do one more thing. So, okay, my goal is to eat that elephant and it is to eat it one bite at a time. And then you do one more thing and that is to set a deadline. And by this date, that elephant will be gone. Yeah. And if you could just keep your eye on this prize, which is the elephant, know how to break it down to the, re reduce it down to the ridiculous, which is the one bite at a time, and then have a deadline when the last bite will go in your mouth, you will achieve every goal in life. Yeah. And you figure out your pace and you just go for it. It's a, uh, it's, it is all a matter of how you frame it. And it takes things that uh, may seem like, like you could never do it into something that you can do. And maybe when you've already done things that you once never thought you could do, you look back and like, Oh, I never thought I could get through X, Y, and Z. So I got that. Like, what's the worst that could possibly happen, right? If this crashes and burns, I'm pretty sure I've had a worse day than this or, you know, a worse mishap than this in life. And that could be kind of liberating in some ways, um, I Absolutely. believe. Yeah. Uh, so your family, your 
you were from Armenia and you were just very young when you left. You were six yeah. years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was six years old when we escaped Armenia. And at that time, Armenia was under the uh, Soviet rule. So it was part of the Soviet Union up until 1992, 93, when, uh, or 1991, 92, when the uh, communism fell. So we escaped in 1980. I was six years old. And as far as I was concerned, as long as I'm with my mom and dad and my older brother and sister, you know, everything's fine. But very quickly, as we got on the train, I started to sense and feel the tension that my dad had. And I realized something's not right. Um, and, And I could hear the chatter between my mom and dad. And are we being watched? And is that the KGB? Are they coming for us? And I was like, oh, crap. You know, what is going on? I thought we're just going on a vacation. And as it turns out, we were going into Italy because at the time they were communist sympathizers. So it was very easy to tell the communist country, uh, government that we're going on vacation to Italy, when in reality, we were really going to go to the American consulate once we were there. And my dad was going to say, look, I'm a member of the Communist Party. I denounce it. And we want to go to the United States and we will give you all the information you want. Uh, where communism is concerned. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, 10 days in Italy, on day 11, we were on an airplane to JFK and my life would forever be changed. Yeah. Wow. Imagine being that. And you have kids now. And imagine being a parent of small children and in that situation and knowing that you have to take this enormous leap and this enormous journey. It must have been terrifying for your parents, you know, in some ways. And yeah. Did did they ever talk about that when you were growing up? Yeah. Well, not so much when I was growing up, he kind of kept it to himself and I was never had the self-awareness to talk to him about it. But today my dad is 85 years old and and he and my mom are still alive, thankfully. And, uh, you know, a few years ago I said, Hey dad, why don't you just tell me step-by-step what it's, what it was like. And you know, he, he told me how much fear he had in him. And he told me exactly how it was going to go down when the KGB found out and they peeled my dad away from us. And my mom's job was to console me and my older brother and sister um, while they took my dad away, probably to Siberia to his death. And so they had it planned out and thankfully it didn't unfold that way. Um, and of course you can't make it look like you're escaping. So we just had two suitcases for a family of five, uh, something like $180 or rubles, which we had enough rubles that translated to $180 in US currency. And uh, so imagine you land in JFK, a family of five with $180 and two suitcases. And my mom packed all the wrong stuff, by the way. She, <laughs> she packed all the memory, like things that were like, like fine china that she had and the forks. And so, so we had all this great stuff, but we couldn't <laughs> eat off of it. There was, there was no, nothing to eat. Right. And so oh in goodness. hindsight, because I could have packed better. So it's, it's become a point of, uh, of humor in our family. Um, yeah, that's oh, funny. God, what a story. Yeah. It's funny. You're like, I ever have the situations you're like, look, I know right now this isn't funny, but in about 10 minutes or three months or two years, this is going to be really funny. Like we just have to get through yeah, it. Just got to get through it. And that's exactly what yeah. it was because, uh, you know, one of the first American restaurants we went to was Sizzler. So after about a year of being in the States and we lived in section eight housing, just so you know, like yeah. um, I, the running joke was I was the breadwinner since I was the smallest in the family. My dad had figured out that grocery stores had dumpsters behind them and they threw away food that was expired. And if it's yeah. expired, you can't sell it. And so my job was to go into the dumpster and fish out the bread that's expired and the milk and the cheese and lettuce that's been bruised. And if you peel away enough of the lettuce leaves, you'll actually find a nice, healthy, green head of lettuce under there. Um, so till this day, I feel like I can go into a dumpster and shop 
you know, but um, we lived such a bad life. In fact, in the Section 8 housing we lived in, which is government-assisted housing, um, I got lice uh, so bad, uh, my parents couldn't afford lice treatment, so my mom had my dad siphon out gasoline from a parked car and wash my hair with gasoline to kill the lice. But after about a year, my dad decided that, all right, he's making enough money with his three jobs and my brother and sister and their jobs that we can have one night out to eat. And by this point, being the smallest in the family, you learn English the fastest. And so my mom and dad and brother and sister, they all have a heavy accent. And so you imagine we're sitting at Sizzler, uh, which is just, you know, whatever, mid-level yeah. restaurant. Uh-huh. And the lady says, super salad. And my dad goes, yes, very much. And she goes, no, 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 super <laughs> salad. Yes, very much. And, you know, he really wanted both. He didn't realize that you can only have one or the other. And he was just so disappointed. I had to explain to him in Armenian that, dad, you only get one or the other. And he didn't have enough money to get both. And so that oh. was like his first trip to a restaurant was such a disappointment. But those are the moments that sucked back then that today yeah. we still and my family joke about the, you know, super salad. Super yes, salad. <laughs> very much. Yeah. Um, do you get to, when you first like became successful and all that, did you get to take your parents out to dinner and have that moment and say, dad, get whatever you want? Yeah. Like, yeah, to, we, we, yeah. We sure did. Uh, and, and thankfully, and, and one of my biggest wishes was, um, cause I'm, I'm also the oops baby. So my brother is 14 years older than me and my yeah. sister 16 years older. So uh, you know, my parents are old con- considering I'm, I'm 45, they're eight, late eighties. Right. So my dad had me in his early forties and, um, and it's not like he was a 40 year old of today, like athletic and whatnot. It was just a stress yeah. case and over eight and you know, whatever. So I always wanted him to live long enough where I could treat him. And thankfully I've been able to, by paying off his house and, uh, you know, I got him a driver, a driver's name is Hugo. Hugo drives him around everywhere now. And, uh, they, they go on whatever trips they want, eat wherever they want. And it's been just a real great, experience to be able to treat my mom and dad and actually my brother and family sister's family as well because really my brother and sister raised me almost like a second set of mom and dads if you will isn't that amazing and so when people and uh you know i'm born and raised middle class and that's the environment i grew up in and i remember like hearing even back then like you don't need money at what point do you need more money why do people want all this money like what's it money 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 like money was such a bad thing and then it's it, that was like enormous to get that mindset out of my head. Like that, you know, I'm not a bad person for wanting to make money. I'm not, you know, like money, but when you get to do things like that, um, it's just, it's great. And that when you get to take care of your family and imagine being your parents, like the worst thing as a parent is to feel helpless to protect your children or to put your children in a situation that, you know, you can't fix or to see them suffer and hurt. And so that must've been, you know, just Oh. you know, very challenging for your parents to get through. Absolutely. And so, I mean, yeah. they saw us get bullied. They saw my yeah. brother get, get, you know, kicked out of jobs because he couldn't speak well. Uh, you know, today you can't do that. Right. But right. back in the eighties, you know, there wasn't all this employment law. And so it was the wild west out then. Yeah. It really was. <laughs> it really was. And then, uh, but going back to your point, you make a really good point, Barb, which is People are like, well, you know, how much money do you really need? Okay, I get it. Well, I can say, look, it was money that helped us from dumpster diving, mm-hmm. right? Once we had enough money, we can shop in the grocery store instead of going to the dumpster. It was money that got us out of Section 8 housing, and we got our first you know, apartment of our own before my dad was able to buy a home. And someone might go, well, good, money's good for that, but then how much more do you need? And actually, about four years ago, I was sitting at a Starbucks, and you, this story is going to resonate with your audience who think that too much money might be bad or why are you always chasing money? Yeah. And this might explain it. I was sitting at a Starbucks and my, my son and daughter go to a private school. And uh, there's a dad who drops his kids off at the private school. Um, 
and he swings by that same Starbucks. So I'm sitting at the Starbucks having a coffee, then I'm going to go work out. The dad pulls up, this guy, we'll just call him Bob. I don't want to mention his name. We'll call him Bob. And he says, hey, Bedros, I just saw an Ink magazine. You, you know, you hit the ink list for the second year in a row. You know, gosh, you work so hard. You're always traveling. Bedros, when's enough enough? And I just froze. And I was like, ah, uh, uh, well, he's like, well, I got to go grab my coffee. See you later. And I know he, he felt like, you see, I showed him. Like, and I realized after, after the fact that, wait a minute, when's enough enough? Like, we donate to Shriner Children's Hospital, Toys for Tots, Compassion International, three kid-based charities, child-based charities. Is there enough uh, cleft palates we can fix? Is there enough burn uh, victims that we can help? Is there enough kids in, in, in different countries who need our help? It, like, it's not enough. And I, that's what I should have told them. It's not enough until every single child has a Christmas gift and all their medical needs are taken care of and every single child has been put through education, has food in their stomach. It's not enough. But in that moment, I really did feel like Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just locked onto money for uh, Ill, 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 Ill desires. When in reality, it's not going to be enough because we always underestimate how much we're going to need, especially not only for the, my, our families that we want to help. Like my mom has dementia. She's got Alzheimer's. And we've got the best caretakers for her and the best medication mm -hmm. for her. And thankfully, she, she will die of old age and not because of Alzheimer's, which is a great thing. Money helps me do that. Money also helps me send my kids to private school. Money also helps me help the causes that I believe in. So. You, you don't realize how much money you'll need until you need it and it's too late. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Can you talk quickly? I know I've heard you talk, you know, in the past about what drives you to help the children's charities. Can you just like quickly explain? Because I've seen through my own experiences that terrible things can happen and you can, this, how you turn that pain, like harness pain from terrible experiences to do things like give back to children's organizations. Like sure. what's the drive uh, where you could have just said, well, screw those kids. I went through bad times. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the, this is weird. I've only been talking about this for about four years now and I didn't even yeah. write about it in my book, man up because I just didn't want to, I didn't feel comfortable putting it out there yet, even a year ago. So it's, this is how fresh it is. But uh, between the ages of four and six, but before we came to the United States, I was molested by two older boys uh, on a routine basis in Armenia. And uh, as you can imagine, the scars that that left, and it left me with feeling shameful, uh, rage and anger and confusion. Like, why did this happen? Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. No one can find out about it. And I had so much anger towards just humanity and, and self, especially men. I couldn't trust men. And so about five, six years ago, I started seeking therapy for it because it was really showing up in my life in just the weirdest ways, weirdest ways in my relationship, in my business and self-sabotage. And so, and then you come to this country, of course, as a foreigner, and I love this country. And I would repeat it all again, all the, all the abuse that we had and all the bullying that I got through, you know, being called a foreigner, go back to your own effing country. I would deal with all that again. But when you deal with that, you have a chip on your shoulder between what happened in Armenia and then the bullying that took place here. Yeah. Look, I, there was three, four Christmases that I didn't have a Christmas gift. We found a piece of pine tree, and that was our Christmas tree for the first two years. And it was like a plastic one, like the top of someone's plastic tree that they had thrown away, which was fine, right? Yeah. And we lived on a, we slept on a mattress, the five of us that my dad, it was stained. God knows what the stains were. It was stained and we found it. And, and so I share this because no kid should have to ever experience that. As an adult, you have choices and decisions to make, man. And if you decide that cocaine is a better choice than to take care of your family, well, guess what? You're going to suffer the consequences. 
but no kid should ever have to suffer what I suffered through. And while I can't stop all that suffering, I can help as many as I can. And the reality of it is, Barb, every time, whether it's the 97 kids we've got adopted through Compassion International or uh, the quarter million dollars of toys that we bought for, to actually it's more now, it's almost half a million dollars of toys for Toys for Tots over the last four years. And I don't know, millions that we've donated to Shriners Children's Hospital. Each dollar, each time, there's a, another piece of me that heals. The, the, the child inside me heals. And so it's not only a significant experience for me and my healing process, but it's also something that I sleep better at night knowing that there's a kid somewhere who got a toy, maybe thousands of them because of what we're doing here in our, in our, in our, uh, in our business. That has to be the, it, the best feeling. And I know that anybody listening like, who has done something to reach out and help somebody else. We like, one thing we like to do is like, we see a veteran sitting at a diner alone or something. We like to like anonymously pay the bill. It's what is it? It's like, you know, like a cup of coffee, a pie or whatever it is. It's like the little things, right. You can do in your everyday life or the bigger things, but it all adds up and it creates that feeling. And it just, I, I think that's the most important thing in life and to teach your kids to do that the same. That's great. And I love, um, you know, that you are an example of, again, growing up and learning because it, it wasn't just easy. You didn't just flip that switch and say, you know what? I have all these shitty things happen in my life, right? I'm going to, I'm going to get over it now. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to let this, I'm going to stop doing all these things that I was doing. You were like carjacking cars and getting in trouble with police and all this. And yeah. you, and I, I only go into this because I know there's a lot of people who think that their situation, they have gone so far down one path or something so terrible and traumatic has happened to them that there's just no possible way to redeem themselves or redeem their life. And they just give up, but Ooh. you don't have to give up. You don't have to give up. And you know what, yeah. when I think about you know, the home invasion robberies, the carjacking of people, they're running away from the police helicopter, which I wasn't able to, we got caught. Uh, <laughs> so don't ever try and drink a fly. You know, California is known Notes for that. Itself. Yeah. yeah it, it, I was one of those idiots that tried and it didn't work. But the bottom line is <laughs> what happened to me as a kid is how that manifested because yeah. I didn't take the time and no one took the time to go, Hey, let's seek some therapy. It was just, let's not talk about it ever happening. And hopefully it goes away. It's always going to show up in some fashion, whether it's through self-sabotage or you end up being a bully or, or a predator of some sort, whatever it is, it's going to show up. Now, here's the good news that I really believe everything that happens is by design. Like all levels of success only happen through a series of failures and through a series of adversity. It's, it's so interesting that people are willing to change the things about themselves that's visually um, evident. Like, well, I want to get rid of my belly and I want a six pack and I want to build my arms up and I want to build my legs up and my booty, et cetera. So we'll go to the gym and we'll work out and we'll eat right because we can see the physical changes. We are willing to put our body through adversity. That's what happens when you're burning, your muscles are burning, you're sweating, it's uncomfortable. You don't want to be there. You're sore the next three days, but you'll go again because you see the physical changes that are positive. We forget to lift the emotional weights. We forget to lift the mental toughness weights. We forget to lift the entrepreneurial muscle weights. Those are muscles that you can't see, but the mental, emotional, entrepreneurial relationship muscles, all those muscles must be exercised as well. And those are exercised through suffering, through struggle, through adversity that has come your way, whether it's stupid choices you've made or whether it's, in my case, two older boys choose to molest you for a period of time because they're just, maybe it happened to them, yeah. right? But it's because of what happened there that I'm so empathetic and compassionate. I don't think I would be this empathetic and compassionate if I, that hadn't happened to me. So thank God that happened to me. And when I say that, people go, oh my gosh, how could you say that? 
I certainly don't want that to happen to my kids or anyone right. else's kids. But thank God that happened to me because it's made me empathetic and compassionate so that I can help the charities like Shriners, Toys for Tots, Compassion. And it brings a sense of meaning and healing to me. So anyone who's gone down some path of bankruptcy, of divorce, of uh, disease, near death, uh, crime, whatever it is, you can bounce back. But today you have to make the choice to not be a victim and be the victor. Love it. And uh, you speak very highly often um, of the service and sacrifice of, of the military. Uh, I'm a gold star wife. My husband died in Iraq. So when I hear people like acknowledge that and take advantage of it, and it's another reason it makes me so happy to see people, especially people come to this country and take advantage of it. Exactly what the service and sacrifice is intended pr to provide. It sort of you know gives purpose to what we've been through. But are uh, you also in, in addition to just saying, you know, thank you, you do your part to support the military. You have an event called Operation Opportunity. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. about that for a minute? Because a lot of our audience are, are veterans. Uh, all right. So you're giving me goosebumps here. So okay. you know, like, ultimately, at some point, when you when you get older, you, you yeah. begin to realize your dad brought you to this country when there was other countries that were closer to Armenia that were also non-communist. We could have been anywhere in Europe. We could have been in Denmark. We could have been in the UK, Scotland, Ireland, Spain, you name it. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, why the United States? And he said, for one reason, because it was an all-voluntary uh, military that would fight for the freedom and the constitution that this country has, that no other country has. And he was willing to risk his life to, to bring us here. And it was because of what your husband did and has done for us. And, and thank you for your service. Uh, I could only imagine how difficult it is as a military wife, especially a gold star wife. Ah, sorry. And so the fact that my dad was willing to bring us here and risk his life and the fact that these men and women voluntarily do that, how can I not serve them? How, how can I not help them? So Operation Opportunity is this thing that I do with my dear friend, Jason Redman, who's a retired Navy SEAL. In fact, today his book, Overcome, uh, launched a wonderful book. And um, he, he was shot up on a mission in 2007, eight times across the body and then the face and arm. 39 surgeries to piece them back yeah. together. So anyway, Jason Redman, who's a retired Navy SEAL, myself as an entrepreneur, and then Benjamin Jones, who's a military police officer, also retired. And now he actually owns eight Fit Body Bootcamp locations, eight of our franchises. And awesome. I reached out to these guys. I said, hey guys, I want to do this thing where, because uh, I see military men and women getting out and they're saying, well, I want to be an entrepreneur, so I'm going to go to school. And I'm like, no, don't go to school because I can teach you for free. Why waste four years? Never mind that it's going to be for free. I get it. It's going to be free or your GI Bill is going to pay for all of it, some of it, half of it. I don't know. But the four years that are wasted in learning something you don't need to learn or this old information, like learn from me. And so I had the good fortune to, to coach Jason Redman. And this year in 2019 was his best financial year. I'll let him say that if you ever interview him. Um, we did a month or two ago. Oh, you yeah. did? Okay, perfect. <laughs> perfect. So I'm so proud of that guy. So proud yeah. of Jones who's got eight Fit Body Bootcamp locations. And yep. so I'm like, I'm going to get real entrepreneurs who are from the military and we're going to do this across the country. So we do Operation Opportunity. It's a one day thing, absolutely free to military men and women uh, who want to come and become entrepreneurs. And I literally will coach them up just like I would coach up a client who pays me $50,000 a year. And then Jason and Ben, of course, share their wisdom and knowledge on leadership and what they've learned in business. And then we just stay in contact with these guys and gals and help them along in their business. And it's so cool to see them thrive, uh, learning the stuff that works today and not the theories that you're going to yeah. be taught that were effective maybe 15, 20, 30 years ago. 
Yeah, that is is so. Have you heard back then? Do you stay in touch with them today to this day? When when was your first one of those operation opportunities? Yeah. So previous to that, I've been donating to causes that that help um, that are entrepreneurial for the military men and women for about five years now. We started with the Lone Survivor Foundation, which is Marcus Luttrell's foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I realized, I was like, I don't think they're doing it right. And I love them. And I still continue to donate to those. Yeah. But I said, I don't think they're doing it right. I've been in the trenches as an entrepreneur for many years. I'm going to do it. So we started early in 2019. So we've done three of these classes. Uh, we've got more scheduled for 2020 all over the United States. And um, one guy, get this, you, you've probably seen like the ice baths that people are doing the, the yes, ice, yes, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. So he came to this thing. He said, well, why don't I create, instead of people taking a horse trough and pouring water and then bringing bags of ice, he created a waterproof, lo looks like a meat freezer, but it's you know laid out in a way where you can set a timer and the temperature. And at that time, it will be at that temperature for you to do the dip. And then of course, your body shed skin and hair and all that stuff. And is so, that the purpose of those cold dips? Well, not 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 for the the purpose is to calm your nervous system, etc. Okay. But because right, your body <laughs> does shed oil okay. and skin okay. and all that, he's got built-in yeah. filters, right? And so he was there at the first class of Operation Opportunity. And today I helped him make a pitch deck, and today he's actively selling those things. And and he showed up with an idea, and now he's selling it. Less than six months later, right? Like, where are you going to learn that in college? Yeah. And, that's great. And it's just such a good feeling to be able to help guys like that. That is great. You can see like your energy just picks up even more when you're talking about it. And that's how you know yeah. someone's like truly all in and passionate, you know, about what they're doing. That's so great. And now you're you're like serving as a mentor on a higher level to a yeah. lot of a lot of people. And I saw you talked about an important mentor you had in your life, Jim Franco. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good old Jim Franco. Yeah. Good old Jim Franco. I love that because um well, talk a little bit about him and just touch on what strikes me about this is that I think people maybe underestimate the impact they can have on somebody's life. Like maybe this guy didn't necessarily like go into meeting you and hang out and giving you advice thinking, I'm going to change this kid's life, right? But he really played an important role. Yeah, he did. He did. So I'm 45 now. Yeah. At uh, 20 years ago, I was 25, just trying to figure my way through three jobs. I was a full, I was a part-time personal trainer trying to become a full-time personal trainer. Uh, so I worked at Disneyland as a fry cook and at a gay bar as a bouncer because the gay bar paid more. People go, why gay bar? Well, the gay bar paid more. And I later found out why. Uh, on my second week of being working at the gay bar, I realized um, uh, the skinheads would come to gay bash and they would wait in the parking lot. And our job as bouncers were to make sure that the patrons made it to their cars and no one got violent. And so, of course, there was a higher hourly pay for that. So as you can imagine, I didn't want to get into many fights. So I was like desperate to get more clients so I can quit that yeah. job, fry cook job at Disneyland. So Jim Franco was one of my small handful of clients, personal training clients. And in between his workout sessions, I would ask him questions about business. And soon he realized that I was curious about opening up my own personal training studio. So he started bringing me cassette tapes like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. And <clears throat> before long, I was learning salesmanship and marketing and communication, persuasion, and English being a second language for me and having to fight through uh, losing my accent, you know, communication was not easy for me. And so for me to learn to sell and market is all communication. It's transference of feelings. And so it, Jim Franco was like my rich dad versus the poor dad that I had, right? And when I say poor, my dad was certainly rich by mindset, but he had a little tailor shop here in the United States. That little tailor shop was the little engine that could, and it just mm -hmm. got into life. 
but it wasn't going to make him wealthy. Um, whereas Jim Franco would show up with you know different car every day of the week. He would show up at two o'clock in the afternoon, and I go, "Well, you're the CEO. Shouldn't you be working?" He goes, "I'm the CEO. I have a team that works for me because they're reliable. They understand the vision, the mission, the core values." I, I didn't know any of those words and what they meant. And so over the years, he kind of coached and mentored me. He loaned me money to open up my first studio. And then on the heels of that, I opened up four more personal training studios on my own. And uh, he actually charged me 8% interest and still stayed 50-50 business partners. So he was a hardcore mentor. Like he was like, I'm going to make money while I mentor you. Yeah. And either he was not apologetic about it whatsoever. Good for him. Um, but in all these years, we stayed friends, and I visit him still when I go to Anaheim, Boynton Park, where my parents live. He's like 10 minutes away from my parents, so I know where he parks his car, so I'll drive by. If I see there's a car there, I know Jim's there. I'll swing in, say hi, and uh, he gets, these days, he's in his late 70s, he gets teary-eyed, and he Aww. still works, yeah, because he wants to. But what's really neat is I say, Jim, I've talked to you about you in my book. I talk about you from stage. I talk about you on podcasts. you got to come and do my show. And he goes, well, where's it at, kid? And he always still calls me kid. I'm like, well, it's at our headquarters. And you've never seen our headquarters. It's just 30 miles down the road. So he came out here and we did a podcast together. And it's our, it's our number one rated podcast because everybody has heard of Jim Franco, everyone in my circle. Mm -hmm. Now they got to see him and see our interaction. It was really just, it, was, it really came full circle for me. Like he was the mentor that I yeah. learned so much from. And ironically, just the other day we talked on Saturday, and he said, look, you're doing so much on social media. Is there any chance you can help me in my business with that stuff? And so I'm going to be going back there after the holidays to help him and his business out. Talk about full circle. That's great. You're going to charge him 50%? <laughs> and 8% interest. Give, or give him a break. Maybe it's Christmas, like 40%. I'll think about it. I'm going to be hardcore like he is. Yeah. Jeez, that guy. Um, all right. What is something that you love to talk about, but maybe people don't ask you about in it? In, in your interviews, like normally? Ever. Um, you know what, what I love to talk about. So the one thing I, I hang on to all the time is uh, Rodney Dangerfield. So okay. I heard he was a cab driver and it wasn't until he was almost 50, he was like 48 or 49 years old that he decides, you know, I've always wanted comedy and I'm going to be a comedian one day. And uh, believe it or not, I do have a pretty good sense of humor. I do have good comedic timing. Um, everyone around me says so when I decide to go become funny. Um, and one of the things I don't talk about much is my desire to be a comedian one day. And so, you know, so I hang on to the dream of Rodney Dangerfield because if he did it in his late, you know, 40s and became someone really awesome and amazing, um, certainly I, I feel I could. If, if one man can do it, so can another. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's that. It's I just, I'm excited to, uh, I love making people laugh. I love easing people's tensions and uh, it comes, it's naturally installed for me. But it just so happens that I'm an entrepreneur where I have to be hard charging. Um, but my kids and my wife, they just can't stop laughing when they're around me. And so, same with friends. Once I am out of this leadership role and into yeah. uh, just a friend role. Um, and, and so I want to take a stab at that in the future. All right. Uh, well, let us know and we'll be, we'll be at your show. We'll be Thanks. your first audience members. All right. Thanks. I know that for me, the time is flying. So I'm going to ask my my question that I always love to ask um, about the American dream, because, you know, we we live it, we breathe it, we sleep it. And again, for me, it's super important to see people who still believe in it and, and take advantage of it. But I, I think one of the reasons people so easily dismiss it is because they're under the impression that we're saying the American dream is one thing for everybody. Like our dream has to be your dream. But no, it's very different for everybody. So I'd love to ask you, you know, and I think 
I, I caught a lot of it from, from this talk, but you know, what is your own definition, your own version of the American dream? What does it mean to you? You, you know, if I could just put one word to it, it would be freedom and, and it would be freedom, which is what our, what our, our country stands for here. And freedom by way of financial freedom, freedom by way of mental freedom. In other words, I, I have a friend, Wes Watson, who was in prison for 10 years. He just got out two years ago. He is, as he says it, the world's most famous felon on YouTube uh, because he just put puts out videos for free teaching about how not to go into prison, both behind bars and prison here. So, you know, freedom in every capacity, mental freedom, emotional freedom, free, health freedom, um, time freedom. Like that is the American dream. At the end of the day, you know, if you do the math, you, you, you treat your body right, you stay positive and optimistic, you're probably going to have a hundred year run on this planet. There's so much to experience, so much to do, so much to contribute to. And I want the freedom to be able to experience that, contribute to that, raise two kids who are going to leave this planet better than I found it, better than they found it. Hopefully they'll raise each two or three more kids. And I want that freedom for, and, and I, I found that money is the vehicle to that freedom. That's just the facts. It'll, you know, let's take a full circle back to money. Money is a vehicle to that freedom because money allows me to buy back my time to pour into my kids, give them the experiences that I didn't have, let them meet people of different cultures, different ethnicities, different, different accents. And now they have, they've been to dozens of countries and they're so sophisticated and I'm in awe of them. And, and God forbid if I was to get hit by a truck today, like I know my kids will be better off and leave this country better than, than, than I found it. And that to me is, is freedom. And uh, it just gives me a great sense of peace of mind. Love it. One more last question, I promise. Um, and then we'll tell people how to find you and stay in touch with you. And then we're out. Um, what do you mean when you say, don't use the shovel, sell the shovel, and that no one should take pride in being blue collar? Yeah, yeah, good question. So, you know, look, being an immigrant, being a foreigner to this country, I had to do a lot of working in trucks, you know, emptying trucks and working at gas stations and working in a hot oven in a pizzeria. And, you know, you soon begin to take a friend of mine, his name is Chanta. He still has this ball cap that I need to tear off his head. It says blue collar hustle. Like, don't take pride in being blue collar. If you have a blue collar job and you love doing it, great. But know that you could do something else on the side, on the internet. There's some value, some service, a problem you can solve that can make you and your family more money. You don't have to suffer along. And so many people believe that there's, there's some kind of What's the word I'm looking for? Some kind of recognition or pride in, in using the shovel in the trench. And my whole thing is, if you can be the person who can teach me how to use the shovel and sell me a better quality shovel, you will make more money selling the shovel than ever using the shovel. Now, the reality is we always need someone to clean toilets and, and, and to, to build, you know, dig into trenches. That's maybe the lowest level of blue collar. And there's blue collar of firefighters and paramedics and police officers and nurses and hospitals. I, I get all that. But the reality is there's something else you can do on the side or somewhere else after retirement that you can make more money. And like, even if you're blue collar, think white collar mindset. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say here. Because if you do, you will create financial freedom because that pension that's been promised to you is really not promised because one economic disaster and they go, hey, your pension's cut. You go, but I was a friend of mine. He's a, a orange uh, LA County Sheriff's deputy. He's about to retire. He goes, B, I'm going to get 90% of my highest year salary for the rest of my life. And I said, Bobby, until the economy changes, until something happens where California goes bankrupt again, because we've been bankrupt before. He goes, shit, you're right. And that's the reality of it. So I said, even though you're blue collar, I need you to think white collar. 
And he goes, okay, I will. So I say, don't take pride in being thinking blue collar and that there's some badge of honor in that. There isn't. Think white collar. Think even forget about white collar. Just think passive income, multiple income streams, creating more wealth, generational wealth, so that your kids and their kids and their kids can donate to causes that they believe in. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Pedros, I know you have a book out, Man Up, which I failed to order because I'm a terrible person. Um, but <laughs> boy, that that escalated very quickly. True honesty. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to put it right out there. You know, I, I get there. I get there most of the time. Sometimes I slip and I don't get the book in time. Um, right. So I didn't get your book in time, but it's on my list. Um, and I'm going to say for anybody who listens to this and go ahead and leaves a review, sends a screenshot in it to me, barb at americansnippets.com. I will order them a copy of your book and send it to them because uh, we like to get people involved and all that. Where can people go though, if they're don't feel like leaving us a review and they just want to get your book or find out more about you. You have events that you run personally sure. um, and you have your own company. People can, can hire you to consult with. Where, where can they find all things Bedros? Yeah. So two places. You can go to manup.com to learn about the book and to learn all about me at manup.com. And you can find me on um, Instagram. It happens to be my favorite platform for now. Uh, I'm fully engaged and you'll find me in the DMs anytime you DM me. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been fun for me uh, and educational. I learned even so much just preparing to interview you. I, I knew I had to nail you down for like a week to talk about everything that I found on you. So thank you for sharing all that with our audience and congratulations on your success and best to you and your family. Thank you, Barbara. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, there you have it, everyone. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. I'd like to personally thank Bedros Koulian for being here as well. If you got any value out of this episode, please share this podcast episode with a friend, share it on social media, tag us at American Snippets, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Remember, we're having that review contest right now. And if you want to learn more about Bedros Koulian, head on over to americansnippets.com, check out the featured article of the week. We do a full write-up on Bedros and his story. You can watch the video interview there in its entirety. Plus, it will include some social media links to his Instagram profile, Facebook uh, website, so you can learn more about Bedros, Fit Body Bootcamp, his coaching services, and Mastermind, etc. Uh, appreciate you being here today. Uh, now, go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are in 2020. We'll see you next year. Yeah.